everybody, and welcome to another episode of Comics and Cinema. I'm your host, Alex Klein, and today is Marvel Unlimited Monday. But before we jump into the comics that came out this week, I have just a few brief updates. One, I did end up watching The Watchmen. Uh, So who watches The Watchmen? It's me. I watched it last night when it premiered. Um, I've never talked about it before, but I'm a huge Watchmen fan. I uh, was obsessed with the comics in high school to the point where I actually made a Watchmen movie, a spoof of Watchmen called The Century Men. And uh, I purposely made fun. It was a, not to say, I, I did a lot of spoof movies when I was younger. And uh, it's actually my, my proudest work, I would say. Maybe one of my proudest works. One of the other, my most proudest work is probably uh, Real Housewives of Plano, Texas, uh, which was, like I said, I'm very proud of that one. But uh, The Century Men, or The Century Guys, was a story about uh man and I don't even remember what my name most of the characters all I know is is Dr uh Dr Brooklyn uh, my brother played Dr Brooklyn who he just wore a green sheet over his body with a pair of sunglasses and then Rorschach was uh I think we kept his name as Rorschach maybe we called him something else like Spot or something and then I was who was I I I think wasn't I Adri- I might have been Ozymandias, but I, I was called something else. I, I'm, I apologize, guys. This will be something for another podcast. But uh, I, like I said, I, I'm when I was younger, I made a lot of movies uh, with like a camera that I had, a home movie sort of thing. But most of my movies were somewhere between like ten and twenty minutes. And Century Guys, in a startling fashion, because I was so obsessed with Zack Snyder's Watchmen movie, and I loved how long it was. I doubled the size, and, and it was actually almost an hour long. The spoof, and it, it's uh, it's got some really good editing in it, if I do say so myself. Um, director was kind of an idiot, and I, I directed the movie, but uh, no. So I, I I've loved this movie. I watched the Watchmen movie night it came out in theaters. I owned the original. I owned it as a DVD. And then I owned it as a Blu-ray, and then I bought the Ultimate Cut DVD set, and then I upgraded to the. There was a sale, and I upgraded to the Ultimate, uh, the like Super Ultimate Blu-ray one that was like came with the hardcover comic, and then I upgraded to 4K once that came out. That's how much I love this movie. And so when I heard that the show was coming out, I was beyond excited just because. I had been looking for something, especially something that was going to be taking place in the future, and uh, this show did not disappoint. I I was pretty hush on the hype for it. I think I watched the trailer once, and I just said, okay, I'm definitely going to check this out, and and I ended up getting an HBO account a little while back and was like, oh, awesome. I, I completely had forgotten about it, but I was like, oh, cool. I have an HBO account. I'll be able to watch Watchmen. And uh, like I said, I loved it. I thought it was phenomenal. And and I am the kind of person that I, I'm going to hold out ultimate judgment until the end of the season. But I so far, my initial thoughts, I love the fact that, um, is it Damian Lindoff? He said it's only going to be one season. It's only a specific amount of episodes. I always love that. I like knowing that a show is going to end. I don't like shows that go on, you know, for 500 episodes like Naruto Shippuden. I do love that show, but you know what I mean. And uh, that, along with the fact that it was taking place in the present and the fact that Alan Moore did not approve of it, I love when he doesn't approve of things because it makes me want to watch him even more. The When's the last time he approved of anything? So my favorite bits about this sh- this episode and what I'm hoping is going to be of this show is Trent Reznor and Atticus, Atticus Ross's uh, sound and score. The soundtrack is just 
it's brilliant. I instantly, instantly fell in love with it. And for those of you out there who are fans of Zack Snyder's movie, I really think the show paid a lot of uh, homage to it in regards to especially the soundtrack. I noticed there were a lot of songs in there, like Unforgettable was on there, which is from the movie, but it was a different person singing it. I think it was Nat King Cole's son, or not son, his uh, his daughter. And then there were a couple of other songs where I was like, interesting, okay, this is kind of like a flip to the uh, what song was in the movie. But then beyond that, just the fact that Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, who, if you guys don't know, they did uh, Gone Girl, and, and my one of my faves, they did uh, The Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. They are just, they're an unstoppable force of interesting music, and they really are able to capture this sort of 80s but at the same time futuristic and it, it's it was almost it's almost like a mix of what i i would say it's a mix of drive and blade runner 2049 with just a sprinkle of stranger things in terms of the the score piece and the music again the, the songs that they chose were so great from the very beginning when the first music started going i was like oh i'm gonna love this show I love, and, and I don't know if I should say it as love, but I, I love the fact that they started this with the Tulsa race massacre, uh, something that not a lot of people know about, not a lot of people talk about. My brother had actually shared that with me, uh, and I don't remember, it was definitely when we were in college, I think he had learned about it in one of his classes. I had just, I'm a, I love finding out information about history that has in some instances, either been forgotten or purposely forgotten like this. And so to find out that something like that happened in our country, I was like, I just, I was entranced with it. I was like, how, you know, there's so many questions that were brought up with that. Like, why did, why was it covered up? Why does no one ever talk about it? Why is this not widespread news? And so seeing that in Watchmen, and if you guys don't know, and you know, you're not going to watch the show or not, not the Tulsa race massacre or what my brother had called it, which was uh, Black Wall Street. The Black Wall Street massacre was, uh, it was like 34 square blocks in Oklahoma, in like Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, where a very, very affluent and rich black community, uh, hence why it was called Black Wall Street, uh, was doing fine, minding their own business, and a bunch of white supremacists and racist KKK uh, essentially just massacred everybody there, like in a 34 block radius, there were like bombs, planes flying overhead, people, you know, getting shot in the streets, it was a nightmare, like something, it's been said to have been the worst case of racial violence of all in American history, and so why is no one talking about it, I don't know, why do you think, because America doesn't like a mirror being put up to itself, but the fact that they had that as the opener of the show, that kind of set an interesting tone for the entire episode, and what I'm hoping is the entire season of focusing on this sort of, and and kudos to Damien Lindov for finding the perfect thing to talk about because Watchmen was such a classic tale because it focused on, it, it did that same thing. It held a mirror up to things. It held a mirror up to the superhero community. It held a mirror up to the government, to all those things in this this alternate reality where sort of your worst fears are coming to life. And now they're doing that in a this current day because it takes place now in 2019 and the same thing it's it's going to be i have a feeling it's going to be holding a mirror up to the racism that's been you know plaguing our country and in a big way because 
you can just tell when you're watching it. The Rorschach people, the white, the Seventh Calvary, clearly they're white supremacists. And uh, but then the police force as well. They're essentially the the superheroes now. They're the ones who wear costumes, but they don't really seem like they're the good guys. They still seem like that's it's like questionable people. It's it's bad people versus even worse people sort of thing. And it's a really interesting dynamic to see. I'm loving the diversity of the cast as well. I love Regina King is phenomenal in this, and I'm so happy that she got in this. But my favorite standout was Tim Blake Nelson as uh, Looking Glass. And the, the standout of the entire uh, episode for me was him interrogating that guy. And you get to see all of the different images that are in his pod reflected on his chrome mask. And he looks like a present-day Rorschach. And I just thought to myself, wow, this is brilliant cinematography. And the cinematography carries throughout the whole thing. And there are so many calls to Watchmen, to, to the comic books and to the movies, I thought. So I think this is going to be a worthy successor. I'm really excited to see where this goes. And uh, yeah, that's that's first part. Second part is... Uh, uh, I just booked my Star Wars Rise, uh, the ri- the Rise of Skywalker. I always mix up what what the name of it is called, but um, I booked my tickets. I was trying to go on Thursday night, opening night, but those were already sold out. So I will be going to see Star Wars on Friday at 7:45. I'm very excited to go see it. Uh, it is a culmination, much like Avengers Endgame, but in a different Disney universe. So those are my thoughts on that. Like I said. Check out Watchmen if you've got an HBO subscription. I don't think you're going to be disappointed, especially if you're a fan of the Watchmen comics. Uh, There's a really good call-out to the ending that really makes it clear that this story and this series is a sequel to the comics, not a sequel to the movies. Uh, But it still seems to be paying homage to the movies as well, which I think, again, is brilliant. And the fact that they're they're bringing up this long-forgotten practically pushed under the rug, hidden in the closet piece of American history uh, in regards to the um, the Black Wall Street Massacre. I think this show is really going to be good in terms of uh, there's just a lot of really good shows these days that are, that are focused on, on this sort of thing. So I'm going to stop babbling about that and we're going to jump into comics. So this week brought a ton of really good comics. Uh, and a ton of ones that I had actually read prior. So I'm going to do the ones that I read prior. I read live. I purchased them when they came out and just do a brief sort of, I really liked them, check them out or, you know, pass on them. So the first one is the Star Wars Age of Rebellion special, uh, which includes three stories. One story is about IG-88, uh, which is written by Simon Spurrier with art by Casper Wingard and color art by Lee Loffridge, along with a story about Yoda. Uh, by Mark Guggenheim, with art by Andrea uh, Brocardo, with color art by Dono Sanchez Almara, and then Biggs Darklighter and Jack Porkins in Stolen Valor, for, uh, written in art by John Adams, with color art by Chris O'Halloran. Uh, I would say check this one out for sure. I really liked this one. I wanted to check it out because I love Yoda and I love IG-88, and both of their stories did not disappoint. I wasn't a huge fan of the Biggs Darklighter story, but that's just because I've never been a huge fan of any of those characters. Uh, I, I'm not a huge, like Rogue Squadron, whatever you want to call it, the, the pilots, I don't, I've don't. i never really had an affinity for them. Uh, you know, people always love what, if it is Big, Biggs Darklighter, or maybe it was someone else that uh, 
Luke Skywalker was best friends with or something like that. I don't know. I've just, I've never been a huge fan of that portion of it. So that one didn't stick for me, but the other two did. And so again, if you're a huge Star Wars fan, especially of that time period, I personally really liked the IG-88 story. I thought it really fleshed out his character a little more. I'm always happy to see a, uh, a murder robot like that walking around doing his bounties. So along with that was War of the Realms, issue number two. I told you this from the very beginning, issue number one. You gotta check it out. As they say on Seinfeld, you gotta see the baby. Uh, And in this case, you gotta see the War of the Realms. So we're on issue two of six. And uh, it is six, right? It's either six or five. But um, come for, as I said last time, come for Russell Dowderman. Come for the art. Stay for the story. For written by Jason Aaron. Colors by Matt Wilson, letters by VCs Joe Sabino. So this picks up right after this issue. And now that you're getting all the tie-ins that come with it, and there's a couple of tie-ins that came out this week, I think it fully fleshes out the story after I've read these tie-ins now on Marvel Unlimited. But the main thing coming out of this War of the Realms is that things are things are heating up. And by the end of this issue, a important character dies, and we are thrust into the meat of this war, I guess you could say. So I highly recommend checking out War of the Realms if you haven't. Uh, it's a great series. And like I said, don't let the cover art fool you. The interior art is phenomenal. Uh, next one that I've read already, Magnificent Miss Marvel number two. Uh, we had already talked about this one prior on the podcast, so I'll keep it brief. Uh, I really like the direction that Magnificent Miss Marvel is going in. And uh, so I would recommend checking this out. It's uh, written by Saladin Ahmed with art by Minkyu Jung and Juan Velasco and Ian Herring. So again, highly recommend that. Miss um, Marvel is great, always fun to read. And then Guardians of the Galaxy issue number four, same thing as Miss Marvel, same thing as War of the Realms. I, I bought it when it came out and they've, they haven't been disappointing me so far. I know I had some trepidation on that last Guardians issue, but guaranteed the first six issues of Guardians of the Galaxy by Donnie Cates, Joff Shaw, and David Curiel are worth the price of admission, especially when that price is free 99 so that I think, oh, nope, and then Thor, issue number 12. Same thing, this is now a War of the Realms tie-in. This issue deals directly with Loki and kind of what's been happening with him, I think, after his dad ate him, which is what happened in um, in War of the Realms, issue number one. Uh, written by Jason Aaron, art by Mike Del Mundo, letters and production by VCs Joe Sabino. So if you've been following Thor this far, no reason to stop now. Uh, it's been a great series, and if not... Uh, it's going to be a tough jumping on point if you haven't read Thor just because, you know, and I, I re, re-glanced over it. It's all about Loki and he's kind of lost his mind because his frost giant father ate him. And so I think if you haven't read Thor, that may be a weird introduction to jump into. Uh, so those are my thoughts on the ones that I've already read. Now on to the things that I just read now for the first time. And we'll start with the War of the Realms tie-ins. First one is War of the Realms, The Punisher, written by Jerry Duggan, drawn by Marcello Fiera, and inks by Roberto Poggi, colored by Rochelle Rosenberg, and lettered by VCs Corey Petit. I really liked this one. I thought this was really cool. If you guys are fans of The Punisher, this Jerry Duggan, I, I got to give him credit on this. He really knows how to write a good Punisher. This Punisher is mad, but he's also protecting the innocent. And he is reaming into, I actually got to double check this for my own sanity. Was this, re, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is parental advisory. This is not a teen book. And it shows people get shot in the head of people, uh, alien, not aliens either. These, uh, the dark elves, they get shot in the head. 
Um, heads are cut off, sliced off, people are exploded. It's mayhem, pure mayhem in the best way, and the best way you'd expect for a Punisher series. So this is, And I think this is only three issues, but if I'm remembering correctly, Jerry Duggan then continues to write this after War of the Realms in Punisher Kill Crew. So I, I know this is going to be building to something, and it's just, if you wanted to see Punisher as somebody who not only saves people, but is a complete and total badass... This is the series for you to check out because this, oh, I mean, by the end of this, I'm not going to actually not going to spoil it because it's it's an easy read and it's really fun. And by the end of this, it just what, what Punisher does to help save these people in the hospital, it it's both unexpected and totally expected because, again, he's just a complete badass. So uh, that was just absolutely great to read. Uh, and then as well, uh, War of the Realms, War Scrolls. And honestly, guys, this one was completely hit or miss for me. This is essentially the War of the Realms anthology series. And you know me, I love my anthology series, but I also... Uh, I'm a little picky about them too. And this one, like I said, we'll dive into this about hits or miss. There's four stories in here. So the first story is about Daredevil called The God Without Fear. This is written by Jason Aaron, drawn by Andrea Sorrentino, and then colored by Matt Wilson. Then the the second one is The Warriors 3, and uh, written by Josh Trulio, drawn by Ricardo Lopez Ortiz, and colored by Felipe Sobriero. The third one is Wolverine and Punisher in Nice Shot Frank, written by Rom V, drawn by Cafu, and colored by Brian Reber. And then the fourth one is about Howard the Duck, written by Chip Zdarsky, uh, Joe Kiones, uh, with an ink assist by Joe Rivera, and colored by Rico Renzi. And it does note that this takes place before, or read War of the Realms number two before this issue. So, you know, interesting call out there. And I also want to call it as well, this Daredevil one is a part one. And so I think the Daredevil story goes through all of the War Scrolls. And I think there's only three War Scrolls, but I could be wrong. And then the other three stories are all just one shots. So they're just quick stories. The uh, Daredevil one is actually really good. I really liked it. It was an interesting take on what would happen if Daredevil meets with Thor or when Daredevil met with Thor in terms of Dare- uh, Thor basically is like, oh, I'm the god of thunder. And he's like, you're not a god. Like, there's only one god because you know how Catholic he is. And so really interesting to see that whole dynamic and then to see him gain these powers that he does, which uh, happens, I believe, in issue two of War of the Realms. So uh, I won't spoil exactly what those powers are. But uh, let's just say that um, Daredevil is seeing things a whole lot differently now. And then the, uh, the like I said, the other, the Daredevil one I enjoyed, the rest of them I did not. So this Warriors 3 one was completely pointless, I thought. I, I don't know, it was, it was honestly kind of boring. It was cool to see Cloak and Dagger there in it, if you're interested in that. But not really much more to say on that. Wasn't a huge fan of the art either, and it's actually a really long story. Jeez, I didn't realize it was that long. I'm scrolling through right now. Um, and then the uh, Punisher one as well, One Good Shot, is not what it, it says. And uh, is it even... Yeah, there's never... I don't even think you get to see him do his one-shot. I guess he just shoots... Yeah, he shoots a troll that's fighting Wolverine and saves Wolverine. And that's really about it. I wasn't impressed with that either. And then even Chip Zdarsky's one, as much as I love old Zdarsky, old Steve Murray, 
Um, I just, I don't know. I, it, it's, it was funny. I'll say that it was funny, but it had really nothing to do with the War of the Realms. It was more of just a little joke one. So if you're looking for gags, that one's going to probably um, fill, fit the bill, uh, pun intended, and in being a duck, which is funny too because the title of his story is called War of the of the Realms, like W A R G H, like a what a duck, the sound a duck makes. So, you know, there you go. All right, next up, Major X, issue number two. Uh, this is by Rob Liefeld. And now, instead of Rob Liefeld, it is penciled by Brent Peoples, inked by Scott Hanna, colored by Romulo Fajardo Jr., and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. I will say this, though. The art does not take a dip. It, I honestly couldn't really tell the difference. You can sort of tell because Rob Liefeld has a very distinct uh, type of art. And so this one was different than that, but it's not that far off. So it doesn't make you go, oh, wow, this is completely different. I was a little less impressed with this issue than I was with the first issue. It goes into kind of the backstory of this ex- existential, I think is what it's called, the the home of uh, the existence. And uh, the existential, yeah, the existential, which I guess is this this utopia where all of the mutants live in peace um, Jonathan Hickman's kind of doing that already, but, uh, I don't know, I, I, I applaud Rob Liefeld for c- coming up with this story, I think it's a really creative story, and it's a very 90s-esque story, but this one focused on a future version of Namor and his daughter, and nothing really comes of it, I mean, we get to the point at the very end of this issue, and the big cliffhanger is just that the underwater place, Cable's underwater home kind of explodes, and so, you know, you know, those never really last. It's not really going to explode. And if it does, then great. All right, I'll walk back what I said. But um, that's just typically how I've noticed it in these comics. So I don't know. I'm going to give, I'll give issue three another chance and or a chance. And if, if that one doesn't get me, I may just not finish this series. Um, but again, you know, if you liked that time period, if you liked the 90s X-Men, and if you're a huge fan of Rob Liefeld, I would still check this out because story-wise and script-wise, it was still a really well-written story. All right, next up, uh, Spider-Man Life Story, issue number two. I thought I knew where this story was going, and I think you guys may have thought that I thought that as well from last time when we spoke. I was like, ooh, I can't wait to see um, you know, Spider-Man go to Vietnam and all this other stuff. Um, no, not at all. So this story takes place almost right after the events of the last issue, but at this point now, history has completely just dovetailed into something completely different. So everything in this issue is new and not canon, which is, I think, awesome. Totally awesome. So I'm going to talk spoilers on this one because this is one of my favorite issues of the week and kind of want to go into my thoughts on it. So written by Chip Zdarsky, penciled by Mark Bagley, inked by Drew Hennessy, color art by Frank D'Armada, letters by VCs Travis Lanham, and uh, this takes place in 19, or 1962. This one's the 70s. This episode, issue two, is the 70s. So, what has changed? Peter Parker and Gwen Stacy are married, and uh, so she never died, She because the Green Goblin is in jail. Uh, Harry, uh, or Flash Thompson did die, though. He died in Vietnam, and so that's how this opens up, is Parker at uh, his, at his uh, gravestone every year. I guess he goes there on the anniversary of his death. 
and um, just you know feeling guilty the way that Spider-Man always does. So Spider-Man currently works for Reed Richards alongside Otto Octavius, which is cool. He has now turned over a new leaf. He's a good guy. They make a point explaining that, and I think that's great. And he's married to Aunt May, which is also awesome. Harry Osborn is running Oscorp while his father is in prison, and he is married to Mary Jane. How cool is that? And then Gwen Stacy works for Miles Warren. And so at this point, I'm thinking, no way. Like, they're they're rewriting Marvel history in a sense. We don't have to worry about the clone saga. We don't have to worry about any of this stuff. Uh, no, 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 no. So also as well, I want to point out, again, the art is beautiful. Mark Bagley is just, he's one of the best Spider-Man artists of all time in my eyes. He has a new costume for Spider-Man, which looks really cool. And, uh... It seems like a lot of people know who Spider-Man is at this point. I think Harry Osborn does. Um, and Harry Osborn is now the Black Goblin. And he's going to... He goes to... His father kind of says, like, hey, you need to take care of some business for me. And so part of that was he busts in on Miles Warren and Gwen Stacy when they're at their uh, at the laboratory. And Spider-Man shows up, obviously, because he was nearby. And so Harry Osborn blows up the wall, like this wall. And... There and he looks. He's like, and this is just so cool. So he's in his his black goblin suit, and he's like, and uh, this explosion goes off. Spider Man's like, Gwen, are you are you? And she's like, I'm fine, I'm fine. And Miles is like, I didn't I didn't mean to. And Harry goes, My God. And then Spider Man says, This this can't be. And and Harry Osborn takes his Green Goblin mask off, and he says, What have you done? Miles Warren says, I I can explain. And just like in the books, he's created a clone of Gwen Stacy, Peter Parker, and Norman Osborn, which is crazy. And Harry says, this was just supposed to be just my father. And uh, he goes, he, he wanted to clone himself to pin his past crimes on, but he also wanted one of Peter. I don't know why. He's, and then Gwen though says, but why, why me? And then uh, Harry says, Parker, Parker. He, he wanted a Peter Parker to be his heir. Even after all this time, after all I've done, and he says, it's always about you, and then starts fighting Spider-Man and rips Spider-Man's mask off and says, Peter, and so it's like, boom, okay, so Harry knows Peter Parker, Spider-Man, super cool. They have a fight, but in unclassic Spider-Man fashion, Spider-Man reasons with Harry. He says, I put him away before he could hurt anyone else, but he's still hurting people. You, me, and now Gwen through the professor and that abomination. Don't give him the power over you. And he says, uh, Pete, I'm sorry. He just, he gets in my head, but you're right. No more. And he throws his pumpkin bombs into the room to explode the three people in the glass jaw in the glass jars and it just explodes and and miles warren loses his mind no and i'm thinking to myself awesome like what what a way to wrap this up in a nice tidy bow uh the clone saga is no more and at this point gwen turns to peter and says um she says the building was empty except those clones you have to save them he's like what but they're she goes please they're living beings he says all right i'm on it and he jumps in there the only clone that's left is the clone of himself just peter parker is the only one that's alive and then he says uh and that's where you're like oh well this is going to be interesting but no 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 no. it picks up even more miles warren says you don't understand i wanted gwen all to myself no substitutes 
And he's, she's like, wait, what are you talking about? He says, you would never know that your wife was a clone while I held on to my Gwendolyn until we could leave and be together. And he just screams, no! And Webb swings back up there. This entire time, or who knows how long, Peter Parker has been married to a clone of Gwen Stacy, and the real Gwen is now dead, exploded by Harry Osborne's, uh his goblin bombs, his pumpkin bombs, guys, how insane is that? And it even go, it goes a full page of black. And then it speeds ahead a couple years. And now it's, uh, Peter Parker or the, the, the clone of Peter and the clone of Gwen, who's still alive. They are now together and going by Ben and Helen Parker. And they're moving to a new city, starting their own life. And so now Peter Parker and Mary Jane are kind of just left to their own, and the last thing is him and her kind of hugging, and it, it hints that the next thing is about the Secret Wars, but I just, I, I guys, I did not expect that at all, and so I, I am happy to say that I completely underestimated this book, and how good it was, this book, this series, so guys, we are now two issues in, and I'm, again, this is a, si- I keep seeing again, I'm, a, I apologize, guys, uh, and I keep saying guys too, this isn't going well, um, this is a six-issue series, I think it's a good time for anyone to jump on and only read those first two issues. They're all oversized. They're all, this one I think was 35 pages or something like that. A really good amount. So I would really recommend checking out this. It's a really great retelling and revamping of Spider-Man's story. This is essentially a a Marvel red label, as I've called it, like the DC black label. It's a story outside of Marvel continuity, but still an amazing story nonetheless. So now we're going to jump into some X-Men stories. And uh, honestly, guys, I'm a little shocked. The uh, the Age of X-Men series were a little less than stellar this week. So we've got Next Gen, issue number three. Written by Ed Brisson, art by Marcus Toe, color art by Jason Keith, letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. So what was last talked about in here was they were planning on uh, the kids at the school are planning to do like a protest by blowing up the memorial library that doesn't even happen in this issue this issue is more of just stirring controversy something isn't right if you remember rock slide was looking to get uh answers to where the life seed was after this whole thing which is spoiler alert there you know there isn't any answers because this is a made-up reality and so they actually create a fake book and they're like, oh, here's your answers. He's like, that's that can't be right. I like I looked all over the library and I couldn't find it. He's like, maybe you weren't looking hard enough. And it's like, okay, they're clearly, you know, tricking them. And then the school is now cracking down on people who are using that unveil, that uh, superhero who kind of she like brings out, makes you remember the real world that you were in. She's bottled her powers up, I think, and put them in these vials. So anyone who breathes that in will remember. And now the school is saying that anyone who uses those vials, essentially they're on drugs. And uh, if you see someone doing that, please report it to the school immediately. And so then by the end of this issue, Rockslide is meeting with Glob. And he's like, hey, you know, something's not right here. And then at the same time, Anoli is meeting with Armor. I think this is Armor. And uh, same thing. Something's not right here. So like I said, there's not really any... That's it, really. Nothing nothing really moves forward. Uh, We just kind of get some more background and a little more character building. But... In my opinion, I don't think these stories need character building because they're they're in an alternate reality and, and it's going to end soon. So I think they should be focused a little more on the story. Same goes for Amazing Nightcrawler, which has now, as I feared, kind of turned into a story that I, I'm not enjoying. Written by Sean and McGuire, art by Juan Frigari, color art by Dono Sanchez Almara, 
Letters by VCs Travis Lanham. So this is issue number three as well. If you remember last issue, Mystique was right there in his room. And so she doesn't even really talk to him. He has no idea who she is. And she almost says, she says, what? I'm not a pan. I'm, or I'm not a fan. I'm your... Never mind, I'll go. It's like, what, I'm your wife? I'm your mother? Because in in some circles, she's his mother, but then she leaves this document that shows a young girl who looks exactly like Nightcrawler, and he's like, she's 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 of me, like, she's one of my kind, she's she's mine. And he's basically, like, talking with his friend, the, uh, Megan, the girl that he had a fe- had feelings for, and he's essentially saying, like, I want to find this girl, like, some, I know this is important, I want to find her. And so that's what the rest of this issue goes on, is kind of him heading to go do that. And by the end of the issue, he ends up running into a rival uh, production company and they get into a fight. So like I said, not as exciting as I was hoping it and and a little disappointing in that regard, but I am going to be sticking it out. I'm going to read all five issues. So we'll see, maybe it picks up, but um, this was just, it was a slow going middle of the road issue. I think a lot of these Age of X-Men's are, are slow going in the middle. Um, Wolverine Infinity Watch. I was going to mention something about this. I tried reading it and couldn't, still not enjoying it. So I'm not even going to say anything about that one. I flipped through a couple pages and it just, I don't know, it's not impressing me at all. So we'll go to one that was impressing me. Meet the Scrolls, issue number three. This is by uh, Robbie Thompson. And aren't they going to they're gonna brag about it? Yeah, it's by Robbie Thompson and Nico Henrichron with uh yeah they're not even saying it in this front intro page it must be on another one here we go um robbie thompson nico hensheron lauren grissat on colors vc's travis lanham on letters and uh this was a slower issue as well i think these third issues in miniseries technically are typically are we just kind of get a little more backstory on the Skrull family and what they've been going through to the point where at the end of this is issue They've sort of all fulfilled the things that they needed to get in terms of the secret documents from the people's houses, and they race back home only to find their house in ruins and their daughter upstairs with that guy with the electric hands completely knocked out on the floor. And her daughter's like, am I a scrawl now? And uh, I don't really necessarily know what to make of that. I thought he was going to end up being a big bad guy. The next issue has him on the cover, yet here he is knocked out. So I don't know what that means, only that... Um, I think we hit a lull in this series for issue number three. So I'm going to say, if you've been reading this with me, stick with it. I have a feeling that this this issue or this series is going to stick to landing. I think it's just a slow issue. Um, but here's one that I actually really liked. Uh, Daredevil, issue number four. This is by Chip Zdarsky with uh, art by Marco Cacchetto. Found out that's how you pronounce his name. Sunny Go on colors and then letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Oh man, guys, last issue, Punisher saves Daredevil. And you remember me screaming, why is the Punisher doing this? This is no good for Daredevil. And you're absolutely right. And that goes real deep into this. I I knew it. Punisher's working with the Daredevil. But uh, what's cooler than that is the interrogation that Daredevil has with Punisher. Because Dare, uh, Punisher brings up a lot of good points, even though daredevil is trying to take the high road he's explained to him like you know you kill a bad guy they're never going to kill again if you you let them run away they're gonna get your family they're gonna hurt the people that you love and daredevil's like no i can't believe you know i can't believe that you're a psycho and and punisher has someone tied up in the room with daredevil and he's like you know what he's trying to explain to him like oh you know he's got to have someone who loves him like he's gotta please just whatever and he's like you know what fine so punisher lets him go 
And he's like, all right, you're free to leave. And the guy immediately goes and runs for a gun. And Punisher shoots him right in the head. And he says, that better, Red? Find a guy who will put up a fight and then kill him in self-defense. Sound familiar? That works for you now? And he's just, you know, because he's tied up. He's like, ah, for the last time, I didn't kill him. And then he, you know, busts out, beats the crowd. Him and Punisher are fighting. And then, oh, guys, Daredevil finds himself a gun, a couple guns, and starts firing off these guns. And they're literally bullets ricocheting that are perfectly piercing the Punisher. Like, he he gets a bullet that swipes off Punisher's neck, one on his leg, one on both of his arms and his hand. You know what I mean? Like, the way that the way that Daredevil does his, his billy clubs. And it's like, oh, wow. He is, he's, he is essentially, if not better, than Bullseye. And so now Frank is on the ground kind of sitting there, and he says, Frank, do you have any idea, any idea at all of what I can do? The level of carnage I could unleash with a gun in my hand. The number of dead if I decided to be like you. It's no contest, Frank. You're amateur hour. You're a demon, sure but I'm the devil, and he shoots two, like, barrels or something in the place, and the whole place kind of explodes, and so then he beats up Punisher a little bit, knocks him out, turns him into the police, and takes his Punisher shirt, so now Daredevil is wearing the Punisher shirt, which is just so cool. Honestly, I would pay for a mini-series of, even if it was, like, a what-if of Daredevil being the Punisher in that regards, like, that was just... To see him do that was so cool, I thought. It was a, a desperate attempt for him to explain that that is why he doesn't kill. Because if he could, he would be the best at it. He really would. And uh, that just, to me, is so awesome. So if you guys, you got to get on Daredevil. It's so good. And the art, uh, Marco Coquetto is, is, he's one of the young guns. He's a go-hard. He's incredible. The art that he makes is just, it's magical. And now we'll jump into Old Man Quill, issue number four. This is written by Ethan Sachs, art by Ibrahim Robertson, colors by Andres Massa, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. So uh, if last issue, they were put in the Coliseum to fight Fing Fang Foom, and this was a really good fight thing. There's a bunch of other characters dressed up as superheroes who don't have powers. They're just regular people, and they go to show that, that they've essentially been punished and thrown in these... Uh, thrown in the the ring i guess you could say to die and by the end of this though taskmaster is running this and they they come the guardians come up with the plan and it's a really cool plan i don't want to spoil it just because i know a lot of you i think you're reading this and uh really enjoying it it's it's a really great series and and how they escape and get out oh man the 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 scene of the oh i i don't i don't want to say anything on this one i don't i don't but uh it's just so good i i'm really loving this series and uh i'm really excited to see where things go because gladiator shows up towards the end and we're getting back into the universal church of truth stuff so uh we'll see where this goes there's a huge fight in here guys all i gotta say is if you're a fan of fing fang foom i think you're gonna be properly in properly i think you're gonna be you're gonna enjoy this i think you're gonna like what you see uh miles morales spider-man issue number five i'm loving this miles morales series it's so good at making miles an interesting character more so than spider-man that he gets a great conversation with his dad i mean i'm already jumping into it it's written by saladin ahmed art by javier garon young gun uh colors by david curiel letters by vcs Corey petit so it takes place uh miles and his friend gonk are 
uh, they hear, hear some gunshots, and so Miles races over there. There's a gang war going on between Tombstone's crew and another crew, and uh, he, he takes them out with the greatest of ease, and then he's on a date with his girlfriend, and she's like, there's something that you need to tell me, isn't there, like a secret you're hiding? And he's like, nope, and she's like, nah, I don't believe you, see ya, and it's like, wow, okay, cool, so she's really going to put a wrench in his life. And then at the same time, Gonk advises, uh, um, he advises Miles that he's not going to be able to make a lot more web fluid for him because they're cutting down lab hours for the students. He's apparently been making the web fluid in his lab. And uh, even more so, a great phone call conversation with Miles and his father, which was great to see. And then Miles showing up to fight more people and just kicking butt. His quips are hilarious. His fighting is great. And nothing really goes wrong for Miles in this. I'm, I'm waiting for the shoe to drop because I'm so used to Spider-Man never catching a break. And it just feels like Miles is getting that break in this series. And I, I think it's really deserved. I, I'm tired of the trope of Spider-Man is constantly in distress and constantly has bad luck. I just, I, I, I don't buy it. And so um, it's nice to see him catch a break. So I would really recommend jumping on this Miles series. The art is beautiful. It's by one of the one of my favorite young guns. And I actually, I'm, I'm pretty happy with all the young guns, except, you know, Aaron Cooter's hit or miss, but all the other ones are fantastic. So yeah, check it out. Uh, here's another one that I'm, I'm actually a little, uh, I'm a little sad to talk about this one, guys. This is Avengers No Road Home, issue 10 of 10. I don't remember if we discussed this last week in terms of will, uh, will they be able to stick the landing and let's go over who wrote this book and, and did this book, and then I'll discuss my thoughts on it. Written by Mark Wade, Jim Zub, Al Ewing, art by Sean Isaacs, uh, color art by Marcio Menez with Eric Arcianega, and then letters by VC's Joe Sabino. So um, I just, I don't know. I don't think they stuck the landing. I think they, they, it almost feels like they made this entire series just for this last issue. There isn't even really that big a fight. It's Vision versus Nyx, and he uses the power of just his imagination to beat her, which is a cool concept, I guess, and the amount of fighting in here is pretty decent. We get to see a ton of Marvel heroes fight Nyx, which was great, but it just, I don't know, it felt a little rushed, it felt a little contrived, and then she's beaten, and that's it. And then now Vision is back and better than ever. He's alive. And at the same time, then every the last end of this is just wrapping up everything. So we get clean breaks for absolutely everyone. So uh, and I'm not going to spoil it because um, I, I want you guys to enjoy it for yourselves. But safe to say it seems like Monica Rambeau is um, she's in a better place, I'd say. Bruce Banner, who knows what's going on with him. We get a little nice thing about Rocket. And then um, the one thing I will say, and so is is about the I don't necessarily know if I agree with what they're doing with the Greek gods again. I mean, it's comics, I guess. No death ever sticks, but I'll be interested to see if they try to make this into something in the future because it's been well, it's been six months since this since this issue came out, and we've got nothing about the Greek gods, including Hercules, who is left in a very very interesting position. That's probably the only thing I'm excited about, though. I'm still, I'm going to need to see him in action a little more before I decide if I really like his new costume and, and look. Uh, I could totally learn to love it, for sure, but I just, I wasn't expecting it. So, check this out and let me know your thoughts as well. I just, from this series was, from start to finish, uh, this, this issue doesn't take away anything, I don't think, from the other issues. It just felt like a, 
it felt like everyone was just trying to wrap everything up in a nice bow at the end and just trying to, you know, to push everything out the door in this last issue. So, um, you know, good or bad, I, I guess that's up for you to decide. So read it and let me know what you think. I just, that's kind of where I was on it. Uh, next up, Uncanny X-Men, issue number 16. Things are heating up for the X-Men, guys. This is by uh, Matthew Rosenberg with art by Salvador LaRocca, color art by Guru EFX, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Um, Captain America is getting... Uh, Cyclops turned in some bad mutants to Captain America, kind of a quid pro quo sort of thing. But then everyone doesn't really like the way that Cyclops is running things, and so Cyclops says, fine, you know what, you're right. Uh, and resigns. He says, you know what? I don't, I'm not going to lead the X-Men anymore. I'll let you guys decide who's going to do it. And so they end up coming to the decision that no one is going to lead the X-Men and they're just going to be a group that decides it by vote, which I thought was kind of cool. And then Magneto and his Brotherhood of Evil Mutants show up. And so the X-Men get into a great big fight with them. Very fun to see some cool twists and some crazy deaths in this issue. This, this series pulls no punches, and we get to see Quanin, who, like I said, I'm really excited to check out in the new Fallen Angels series coming out in a couple, either a couple weeks, or it's definitely next month. But to see her in here, guys, she is ruthless. She is ruthless. And uh, I'm really hoping that they do go into more detail with her in the, the next few issues. And I just, I love Salvador LaRocca's art. I was, I fell in love with him on Invincible Iron Man, and, and to see him on X-Men is always nice, because... He's just got a really great grasp of, of drawing these characters. So yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed that issue. I would recommend checking it out if you've been following it. If not, um, it's 16 issues in, so it's not the greatest jumping on point. But I would still recommend Matthew Rosenberg's Uncanny X-Men run. I think it's a great run. What we'll wrap up with is Spider-Man 19, Amazing Spider-Man issue 19.HU, a hunted tie-in by Rick Nick Spencer and Chris Bocciolo on pencils. Uh, along with inks by Wayne Faucher, Livesay, Jamie Mendoza, Victor Olazaba, Tim Townsend, and Al Vey, because they pulled in all the inks on this one. And color art by Eric Arcianega, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. So this is a tie-in issue to the main Hunted storyline. I did not review these during my Hunted storyline because they weren't out on Marvel Unlimited yet. And just as I suspected, doesn't really add a lot of information. They kind of fill you in in the Hunted storyline about this one. It's about the lizard, and it's essentially about him trying to save his son and right the wrongs that he has had. And in doing so, he kind of bribes and gives Taskmaster an ultimatum to where they sort of team up, and then uh, and that's it. So it's not an essential piece in any means. And I certainly don't think it was as good or as emotionally impactful as the Gibbon tie-in story was um, last time we spoke. But nevertheless, if you're following the Hunted storyline on Marvel Unlimited, I would recommend checking it out just because it's going to give you a little extra flesh, a little more meat on the bone of the story, and I think it'll end up making you enjoy it overall a lot more. So those are my thoughts on this week's comics. There's one other comic I didn't get around to reading, but I just want to point it out. I will be talking about it in the future. Uh, one of the older comics that Marvel put out, they added a couple of old ones on here, and this is called... I've never heard of this before, but it's Carnage, It's a Wonderful Day, or It's a Wonderful Life, and it is by um, by David Quinn with art by Kyle Holtz, who is the one who also did Carnage Mind Bomb and has been doing some Carnage stuff with Donny Cates now. So I'm 
and it's from the 90s, so I think it's right around, it may be right around the same time. It's a one-shot, so I think it's going to be in that same vein of mind, uh, mind bomb, Carnage Mind Bomb. And uh, if so, I'm going to just already recommend this. I'm going to probably read this at some point either this week or sometime soon. As soon as I read it, I'll review it for you guys. But I'm just, I, I love Carnage, like I've said. And anytime there's a one-shot about Carnage, I love those even more because you know they're going to catch you up on anything that you've missed. And they're self-contained stories, so they're always fun to read. But uh, that's going to do it here for us at Comics and Cinema. I'm your host, Alex Klein. Thanks so much for listening, and enjoy reading these comics. Thank you.